On this edition of the program, we go back in history to look at who wins the New Hampshire primary and why, as well as the debut of the bicentennial curse that may or may not befall Donald Trump on Tuesday. Also, Evan Scrimshaw joins the show to break down the polls. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Bow Them Bones. Daily Tech News Show, V and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Friday, January 19th, 2024. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you. I'm in Austin, Texas right now. By the time you listen to this, I will be on the ground in New Hampshire getting ready to cover that first in the nation primary. I'll probably have a Dunkin' Donuts in hand. Talking to all the New Hampshires, the New Hampshireites. I don't. I forget what people from New Hampshire call themselves. But you guys know us, right? Here on the PX3 show, we obviously like to keep our finger on the pulse of what is happening now. But we are not ignorant to the idea that if you do not learn from history, then your takes are going to be bad. At least that's how I look at that saying. And so I did a little statistical digging on the results of the New Hampshire primary. And I got some interesting stuff. And then one shocking curse that I have unearthed. Let's begin with the last 20 years of Republican primaries in New Hampshire. Of course, 2000 is probably the most famous one. John McCain beats George W. Bush, who had won in Iowa. It sets up the the first big scare, the only real big scare for George W. Bush in the primary, although he had a bigger scare when it came to the general with election night for old George W. But let's move through there. The Bush administration is over. It's 2008. Everybody's ready to turn the page. And all of a sudden, folks start thinking, wait a minute. What about this John McCain fella? New Hampshire, again, supported McCain, the Arizona senator. He wins with 37% of the vote. Mitt Romney comes in second with 31. Mike Huckabee comes in third with 11. And Rudy Giuliani finishes with 8%. So the biggest thing that you want to note there is that Mike Huckabee won the Iowa caucus. So he comes in and is third in New Hampshire because Mike Huckabee was really only built to win the Iowa caucus. Evangelicals still voted as a block at that point. And so the maverick John McCain, for whom New Hampshire probably wanted to be the president, at least New Hampshire Republicans wanted to be the president in 2000, they get the support. Mitt Romney, 31% of the vote. The other thing that's interesting is, boy, the bygone era of the Republican Party being a Just go ahead and take a ticket. Eventually, you'll get your turn at the counter kind of party. If you finished 
second last time. This time we'll support you. John McCain, you want to know what? We didn't expect you to push W. Congratulations. You now get the support that you need. Of course, 2008 was not exactly a a bumpless ride for old John McCain. He had a lot of chaos in that campaign, but it eventually wound up with him winning the nomination and losing to a scrappy upstart by the name of Barack Obama. And it was in Obama's second term that we have the 2012 Republican New Hampshire primary. There, Mitt Romney wins 39% of the vote. Ron Paul, remember Ron Paul? Ron Paul comes in second uh, with 22% of the vote. John Huntsman with 16% of the vote. Rick Santorum and Newt Gingrich with 9% of the vote each. Rick Santorum barely won Iowa. We went to sleep that night thinking that Mitt Romney won Iowa. But Rick Santorum won Iowa. Mitt Romney came the closest to being a Republican candidate to win both Iowa and New Hampshire. Keep that in the old noggin. But if if memory serves, Rick Santorum, they found votes in a dude's trunk from the caucus. That eventually put Rick Santorum over the top, but we didn't know it for another like week. So let's look at these candidates. Mitt Romney, obviously, the Massachusetts moderate. Those voters are going to know who that guy is. Came in second last time, first this time. Ron Paul was, you know, really a house on fire. If you look back at the modern version of the out of left field candidate that makes a bigger stir than you'd think. Vivek Ramaswamy, one of them, Andrew Yang, another one. They both pale in comparison to this electoral performance by Ron Paul. Either of them ever rolled into any primary with 22% of the vote. Andrew Yang dropped out in New Hampshire because he didn't have a path forward. And Vivek has already dropped out of this before he even gets to New Hampshire. He arrived in New Hampshire as a Trump surrogate. Which, of course, brings us to 2016. Donald Trump, 35% of the vote. John Kasich, 15%. Ted Cruz with 11. Jeb Bush with 10. This was the beginning of the end for the Marco Rubio push. Donald Trump at 35. So in the same neighborhood as John McCain in 2008, Mitt Romney. In 2012, they were all in the mid to high 30s. But what's notable about 2016 is that John Kasich was so far below. You know, the closest that Trump, uh, that anybody got to Trump was 15%. Not so good, Al. Then, of course, remember, Jeb, Jeb in 2016, that is, uh, that's don't clap. Oh, or sorry, please clap. Please clap. Oh, no. Poor Jim. Poor Jim. Of course, Donald Trump did not win Iowa that year. Ted Cruz won Iowa. Which brings us to the bicentennial curse. This is the biggest thing 
that I have discovered in my research for this cycle. Okay. I've seen nobody talk about this. If anybody talks about this going forward, you let them know it is called the bicentennial curse. And it was discovered by Justin Robert Young on the politics, politics, politics podcast. I I normally am okay with anybody stealing my takes. I need credit on this one. Since the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary have operated in the stature that they have in our primary process, which is the mid-70s, there have been five people that have gotten the most votes in both of those contests, the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary. They are as follows in contested primaries. Jimmy Carter, 1976. Gerald Ford, 1976. Jimmy Carter, 1980. Al Gore, 2000. John Kerry in 2004. So in 1976, both Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford run against each other. Jimmy Carter wins. I don't know if you noticed this in all the rest of those. Nobody who has won the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary has won the presidency except for Jimmy Carter when he beat Gerald Ford because they both did it. So somebody had to win. That means Donald Trump, who right now is the polling favorite to win the New Hampshire primary, it would make him the first Republican since Gerald Ford to do that. And it would saddle him with the bicentennial curse because this is, we're going deep, deep into the the, the factoids here. Jimmy Carter didn't win the Iowa caucus in 1976. He was the person that got the most votes, but uncommitted actually won that caucus. The most people that made a decision made a decision for uncommitted, not Jimmy Carter. That means that nobody who has won the Iowa caucus And the New Hampshire primary has ever won the presidency ever. If Donald Trump wins on Tuesday and if he wins the presidency, he will be the first person to do it. He has a chance to be saddled with and shatter the bicentennial curse. We have New Hampshire on the horizon and New polls are in, which means we need to break them down with Evan Scrimshaw of The Lines and so much more. Welcome back to the show, Scrim. Thanks for having me, man. I always appreciate coming on. Well, before we get going, let, let's let's do two things off the top. Number one, the long national nightmare is over. Asa Hutchinson has dropped out. Uh, uh, he totally screwed your bad uh, candidate fantasy draft team. And uh, after limping to the finish line of the Iowa caucus, I was happy enough to see uh, his one of his last campaign appearances. He is now out. Uh, Do you have any final words for Asa Hutchinson? 
you really couldn't have done this six months ago, buddy. <laughs> you seriously couldn't have done this six months ago. You lost to a guy I haven't even heard of before. Ryan Bingley. Which is how you know you did badly. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bingley was on television in Iowa. You know, because I whenever I whenever I go on the road, I'll just leave the television on uh, to a local channel just so I can see what is is getting the the last minute blast of air coverage. Uh, Binkley was on. He was like like once every three ad breaks, as opposed to every single ad break that Nikki Haley's transgenderism campaign and Donald Trump doing the "I was good, Biden was bad" routine was, but. Uh, his campaign ad, Ryan Binkley, he was in the evangelical lane running nearly exclusively in Iowa, was just, I'm still here. That was that was how he closed every single ad that uh, he read. But he did better than Asa Hutchinson, who I think got 120 votes in the state or sorry, caucus uh, commitments, whatever it is in, in the state of Iowa. Can we can I do like 30 seconds on the dumb scandal of the DNC statement? Yes. And then, yes. Please go ahead. Explain it, and then, uh, and then, uh, and then give me your give me your thoughts on it. So the DNC put out a statement on Hutchinson's dropping out of the race, which was like a joke. I'm not going to quote it directly, but it was essentially, uh, "This is big news to those of us who thought he already did it." Yes. Um, and then snarky, this is now gotten the White House yeah. chief of staff to call Aza Hutchinson mm-hmm. to apologize. And like, I would just like Democrats to stop being so tryhardy. Like, <laughs> is it good? Is it a good statement? Eh. Does Aza Hutchinson's dropping out even really merit a statement? No, but like it was a snarky statement that like 4,000 people on exclusively on Twitter saw why is the White House chief of staff calling a candidate who got 120 votes to be like, hey, I'm deeply sorry that you did this when Aza Hutchinson is not going to help you at all. He's going to vote for Donald Trump. What are we doing here? Yeah. So are the Democrats argument, are desperate to, the, the, to, the to come argu- off like the good guys. The argument strategically is that the Biden coalition especially now needs never Trumpers. Never Trumpers are more likely to come home to Biden than some of their fraying coalition that we will, I'm sure spend months and months and months talking about in the black Hispanic and progressive community. So you don't want to unnecessarily step on toes that you are going to need in November. And so that's why they need to apologize to Asa Hutchinson when whoever is running the DNC Twitter account wants to, you know, get engagements with a, a snarky little tweet. But he's not gonna, Oh, fine. Okay. I mean, I I agree with you. I agree with you because while I knew that he was always more salty toward Trump, I never put him in the never Trump category. I put him in the evangelical category. Uh, He switched from that or at least slowly morphed from that while nobody was looking and became more of a corn pone Chris Christie, which is what he was when I saw him in Iowa. But that was not what he was known for. He might have been known for saying that Donald Trump didn't win the election, but he wasn't known for being never Trump like he was Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger or Chris Christie or something. 
Right. And also, like, he still hasn't said that, you know, if it's if it's Biden or Trump, like, it's going to be Biden. Like, I don't I just every part of the I mean, I still understand why you needed the statement. I actually thought, like, I don't know that the DNC should be tweeting like, you know, I would tweet. It was very much like a very like 25 year old, yeah. like sarcastic, jaded guy tweet. Like it was I found it funny, but I'm also not like but I, I don't think the DNC should be tweeting like me. But also, why did this A need a statement, B need an apology, and B and C need a 36 hour news cycle? Well, why did it need to be a semi-public apology? Right. Like I could understand somebody reaching out to yeah. Asa Hutchinson from the White House and and say, All right, hey, you want to know what? Let's let's see if we can grease the skids for maybe an endorsement in a DNC speech or something like that. Uh, uh, when, when when the convention rolls around. But I don't know why it needs to be public unless that's part of the condition for it. Although this brings me to this thought. Handicap for me, the most likely Republicans that will speak at the Democratic convention. Uh, I think Liz Cheney's got to be on that list, right? Yeah, so Liz Cheney assuredly is going to speak at the convention. Yeah. Um, Kins, uh, Kissinger, or Kinsinger, Kinsinger, maybe because he's yeah he's an Illinois boy, and the convention is in is in Chicago. In Chicago. Okay, so that might be that makes a lot of an sense ode to something. Do we think? I mean, I guess Chris Christie's the fun one. Does Chris Christie do it? Does he go full? You know, like Bloomberg, and although Bloomberg, I mean, if you, if, was, you yeah. if, if Chris Christie believes the things that he says. He has to endorse Joe Biden. Does it surprise he you that he actually believes the stuff Nick he says Haley? about Trump being a threat to the Republic? He has to. He has to endorse Joe Biden. Does it surprise you that he didn't endorse Nikki Haley? Uh, I mean, a little, well, depends on what he sees privately, which I guess leads us to the question of: <laughs> Do we think Nikki Haley can win in New Hampshire? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, 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 before we get to that, though because we will spend the majority of our time talking about that. I do want to let people in the listeners in on the fact that while I got all of my predictions about Iowa, right down to both dropouts, uh, I did let you know early the day before, as I was freezing my ass off in negative 20 degree weather, I DM'd you. And I said, look, I, I I think that this this weather is going to materially affect turnout, and I think it's going to hurt Nikki Haley. Uh, we went we went back and forth, but apparently you took my advice. There were there were there was an opportunity uh, when I mean predicted predicted markets are literally the most incoherent thing of all time. Um, like. But yeah, I, I I may or may not have uh, failed out a little bit. When <laughs> failed out on Nikki the, on 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 the Nikki for second position. Yeah, because there was a there was a moment of of intense Nikki optimism, and I I I might have cut bait a little bit. <laughs> I should have I should have cut bait more than I did, but uh, I you know did not want to put myself in a position where I was really you, you didn't you you didn't go down with the ship with with yeah Nick. exactly because yeah I. <sighs> It's one of these things where, like, I'm fine going down with the ship if I'm just wrong. Like, if yeah. I'm wrong in a process sense, like if I stake yeah. my claim on a on a strong position, I will go down with the ship. I am not really going to go down with the ship on something where it's literally just like the weather is just going to be what screws me. Like, I'm not. That's not the hill I'm going to die on. 
And, and literally speaking of the hill that you could die on, that was my argument is that the roads were so icy that you really had to think, is it worth screwing up my car? Is it, is it worth, I mean, and you know, I was out at this uh, uh, cigar bar two days before and two of the dudes that were there, and these are Iowa bros with diesel trucks, couldn't start their cars because the batteries were, were not working. Like, like that's the level of, of, of issue that was in Iowa. And it, it's so funny watching a lot of the, the conversation about it now where even that's just sort of forgotten. It's like, oh yeah, well, you know, like the Republicans have an enthusiasm problem because it was a low turnout. And if it's perfect weather, I don't know what the turnout is, but I suspect it's higher than it was. And I do suspect that Nikki Haley gets enough of those looky loos to put herself over the, over the top for second. Yeah, which is why I'm not really too like, yeah. which is why I'm not uh, doing the self-flagellation that I can sometimes do when I get something wrong. It's no, I didn't realize I, there was going to be a once in a generation cold snap. Yes. Uh, uh, and it was it was truly, truly, truly uh, something terrible, which I, does not look like it's the case in New Hampshire. This is your update for New Hampshire, the New Hampshire primary brought to you as always by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, man, we do this, uh, uh, of course, for the love of it, but we only are able to do it because you guys support this independent journalism. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I saw on Twitter, Laura Loomer who is a character. Uh, uh, that's probably the most polite way to uh, to characterize it. She was asking for $8,000 so she can cover the New Hampshire primary. I'm just letting you know. Guys, I'm doing it at a substantially reduced rate <laughs> compared. Because if I needed $8,000 to cover both the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary, that would be $16,000 I'm doing it for cheaper than that. I know what I get on the Patreon. I'm doing it for cheaper. That being said, I really do appreciate you guys supporting this show. Head on over there right now. This is another one of those examples where the on the road sounds that you're going to get. They are going to appear on, on the Patreon because that's when I'm out there. The Sunday show, which is normally the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show where I go over all of what happened on the uh, the Sunday programs. Instead, it's going to be on the road, on the campaign. Last week, it was Vivek Ramaswamy and Asa Hutchinson. We got to get our last, pay our last respects to those two campaigns that now don't exist. Very rare you get to see a dying star. We showed you two of them on the show this Sunday. So head on over there right now. We're going to do our best to see everybody we can. Dean Phillips, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and of course, old Donnie Trump, who may be saddled with the bicentennial curse. You know, he might be cursed. He might be bicentennially cursed on Tuesday. Let's get into your update. During Wednesday's Supreme Court session, conservative justices scrutinized the Biden administration's stance on the interpretation of ambiguous laws and judges versus federal bureaucrats. The judge's ruling on this matter could significantly shift power from the executive to the judicial branch, impacting regulations across various policy areas, including health care, the environment and immigration. 
Justice Brett Kavanaugh criticized the Chevron Doctrine, as it's called, which currently permits federal agencies to interpret ambiguous statutes reasonably, arguing for the judiciary's role in maintaining the balance between legislative and executive powers. Justice Neil Gorsuch, by the way, whose mom was involved in this initial ruling, raised concerns about the perception of courts deferring to agencies' interpretations. The debate centers around the Chevron Doctrine, the 40-year-old precedent that enables agencies to interpret laws when Congress's intent is unclear, under the assumption that these agencies have the necessary expertise. The doctrine has been utilized by administrations of both parties to defend regulatory uh, agendas. However, conservative legal thinkers have challenged it, claiming that it undermines judiciary authority and disrupts checks and balances. The Supreme Court has, in recent years, leaned away from from Chevron in favor of stricter standards like the Major Questions Doctrine, which requires explicit congressional authorization for significant actions, but has, as of yet, not overturned this doctrine. Liberal justices, including Kentonji Brown-Jackson, Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan defended the Chevron defense, emphasizing the expertise and accountability of agencies compared to the judiciary. Judge Jackson voiced concern about judges becoming uber legislators. This is one of those things that has uh, gotten a lot of attention recently, as many Supreme Court cases do. Gotta say, not a legal scholar. Don't really know where to land on this one. So I'm not going to comment on it. But you know about it. And so now you know what people are going to be yelling about. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is shifting a significant portion of his campaign staff to South Carolina, leaving New Hampshire ahead of its primary. The move comes after the cancellation of two planned debates in New Hampshire, in which DeSantis DeSantis had agreed to attend. The strategic relocation to South Carolina is seen as an effort to put pressure on Nikki Haley, former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., and, of course, former governor of South Carolina. DeSantis' campaign aims to narrow the GOP contest to a two-person race between himself and Donald Trump, but obviously that's not going to happen until after South Carolina, even if things miraculously started doing better for him. The shift follows DeSantis' second-place finish in Iowa and his lack of significant polling growth in New Hampshire. Um... So recent history, Joe Biden did the exact same thing. Joe Biden was brave Sir Robin ran brave Sir Robinette ran away in New Hampshire. He bailed there, went down to South Carolina, and it eventually turned his entire campaign around. Is that going to happen for Ron DeSantis? Eh, no, <laughs> it will not. He is out of money. He is out of momentum. And increasingly, he is out of time. Right now, Ron DeSantis has pulled pulled all of his television ads. He's not up on, on the air anywhere. Not in New Hampshire, not in South Carolina, not in Florida, not in any of the Super Tuesday states. Good for him for being in second. But I think it is time for the meatball to, you know, Wrap it up. It's the wrap it up time for Ron. He's wrap it up, Ron. Finally, White House Chief of Staff Jeff Zients called former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson to apologize for a snarky statement released by the Democratic National Committee, which mocked Hutchinson's exit from 
the primary race. The DNC statement, which sarcastically expressed shock at Hutchinson's withdrawal, faced backlash for its perceived attempt to humiliate him. Zients' apology represents the notable repudiation of the DNC by the White House. The gesture underscores the Biden administration's recognition of the importance of the anti-Trump Republican in the 2024 campaign, given Hutchinson's strong opposition to Trump. The White House's response, articulated by spokesman uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, highlighted President Biden's respect for Hutchinson, acknowledging his principal stance and public service record. Hutchinson expressed gratitude for Zients' call, viewing it as a reflection of the more respectful elements of American politics. The incident comes in context of Trump's strong influence over the Republican Party and his recent decisive win in Iowa. We're going to talk about this a little bit more with Evan Scrimshaw, but... Biden needs a coalition and never Trumpers are very much a part of it. A reminder, you can get two bonus episodes each and every week. And this is the time to do it. This is when people drop out. They endorse a lot of news happens in the middle of the week. The, the next few months are going to be three years worth of news. You're going to want to be on the team. Come on in. Take politics seriously. $3 Club gets you two bonus episodes each and every week. So let's turn our eyes to the Granite State, the first in the nation primary. Uh, Scrim, we have two polls that have come out since the Iowa caucus and since Chris Christie has dropped out and either of them show the kind of sunny optimism that Nikki Haley was looking at before Chris Christie dropped out with the hope that he, uh, his removal would be rocket fuel for her. It is Trump over 50 in a Boston globe Suffolk poll at uh, sorry at 50 in that poll. And then a St. Anselm poll at, 52. Nikki is at 36 and 38, respectively. So Donald Trump up 14 in both. Ron DeSantis polling at six. No Christie, no Ramaswamy. We were both pretty bullish on the idea of Nikki Haley pulling the John McCain in 2000 haymaker in New Hampshire. We, we, you know, who knows where that leads to, but these are not great signs for her going into the big weekend. No, they're 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 definitely not. And if you go back and listen to the last time I was on, part of the optimistic case that we were making was she's gonna come second. She's gonna get yes. the media boost from coming second. And then the weather came and screwed that up for her. Um there was an American research group poll as well this week that has a tide race. Uh mm-hmm. ARG is a conservative aligned pollster. Um I don't know why they're not on RCP. I've stopped trying to guess why our uh, RCP who, who makes who makes RCP and who doesn't. Yeah, yeah, no idea what their lines are. But obviously, the Suffolk poll is a fairly bad sign. Suffolk didn't do amazing in Iowa, but eh, it's kind of hard to say whether or not they were accurate in a normal turnout scenario, yeah. and they just got screwed by weather. Um, the one case I'll make for her is. DeSantis, in theory, staying in the race could help her in a way that I hadn't really thought about, which is if he if he 
overperforms, and I'm not saying he does great, but yeah. if he gets 12% of the vote or whatever, so that would that be double what he is polling at right now. Be coming from Trump. Like there is a path to her getting to, can she get to 44? Cause 44 might be enough to win. If DeSantis takes enough votes, it's possible. I think she needs something to happen in here, but also, you know, polls have not always been great in New Hampshire in primaries in general and New Hampshire specifically, uh, you know, Sanders underran his polling margin by six against Buttigieg in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obama was leading by, I think like nine on average, sorry, six on average. He underran his polls by nine against Hillary in 08. Uh, Bernie beat his polls by, I think 11 in 2016 against Hillary. Like polling misses can happen in the grand state. Losing in Iowa does not necessarily always or underperforming in Iowa doesn't always, um, you know, doesn't always matter. Look at, again, Hillary coming into yeah. New Hampshire and pulling that, you know, near miracle or, you know, at least campaign saver yep. um, in 08. But Haley needs something at this point. And without a debate, I kind of don't know what that thing is going to be. I didn't like the decision for her not to debate. I don't know why you would take yourself off television. I know that those were diminishing returns in terms of ratings, but it is still a conversation mover. And if she's got something to say, which I do think now is the time where you say something that could change the conversation a little bit. I don't know a better opportunity in media than during a debate. I I don't think it's going to get covered the same way if you say it at a town hall. Yeah. And like the last thing, like the last opportunity she went out, fairly limply at least that was the i didn't watch the debate i forgot it was happening the iowa one yeah some some people thought that she that she did herself a disservice i didn't think that she necessarily did I, i i do think that the bigger issue with her is she gets flustered and that's not great and it's not great specifically as a female candidate uh because it it plays into elements that uh, you know, are not flattering to you. You tend to need to hold a high ground like you are, you know, the mom on stage, basically. But I still think, look, you can't run away from if that's a problem for you, you got to run right into it because it doesn't help to hide at this point, especially when the entire news cycle is Donald Trump just top 50 in Iowa and he might top. 50 again and now everybody is thinking well okay well when does ron drop and uh, uh is nikki haley gonna be no labels haley in four months <laughs> yeah i mean i i don't really i don't really know what her campaign's doing um it seems it seems like they were just sort of banking on second and second in iowa and then yeah the weight like ride the wave of momentum which is a fine thing for me to say on this podcast but i'm not being paid presumably hundreds of thousands <laughs> of dollars to plan nikki haley's campaign strategy yeah so i don't know what the point of this is i don't know what they're doing i like the press release where she put out that you know the next time i debate will either be against donald trump or joe biden that feels like the thing you put out when you get 24% of the vote, you beat DeSantis by eight points and he's maybe not even in the race anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, why did you stick to that strategy when you 
did bad. I don't well, get any of this. Like, like, why did you say this is a two person race when you came in third? Like, like that's I. Uh, there is there is I mean, a there, weird. At least, what else was she supposed to say? I listened to your I segment think, I think, and I. On Tuesday show, and I'm like, yeah, I kind yeah. of agree with you. I don't know what else she was supposed to say. Yeah, I mean, spin, I, I, but I think it's, I mean, it just there. There's that risk of coming off as overconfident going into New Hampshire, where part of what her issue is that is scaring off some of the voters that she does need to draw. She doesn't need to draw a lot of conservative voters. She needs to draw some conservative voters. This cannot be just independents, Democrats, and never Trumpers as a coalition. Uh, there, there are enough of those to make noise. There's not enough of those to win in, in these races. Part of the problem is, is that she really has had a hard time shaking off the Nikki Haley is George W. Bush. He's going to bring you to war. We're going to be at war with Iran uh, in, in four years of Nikki Haley. Uh, uh, if she, if she is the president of the United States and an element of that, I mean, part of that she can't, you know, deal with because you have effectively poisoned her greatest strength in foreign policy, if that is what people talk about. But the one thing that you can affect is the arrogance of it. The idea that just like every other Republican in the past, pre-Trump, they are going to sell you this rah rah rally around the American flag, American power, foreign abroad. If we don't fight a war now, we're going to fight seven wars tomorrow. But they are really going to drag you through this. They're two faced. They're lying. When you say you don't want to do it, they will say, but we need to do it. And she has not been able to combat that at all. Not in her messaging, not in her ads. Uh, and, and, you know, there's there's no and then they're not really even fighting back with Trump. All, all the all the the fire back with Trump has been saying, no, I really do have a shot. Like responding to Trump saying he, that she doesn't. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I understand that she does need to kind of move forward and turn the page. But if I were, you know, I don't know if I were her campaign, I don't think she says it. But I think her campaign says, yeah, it was the weather. You know, sorry. If, if, if it's not, uh, uh, you know, caucus on ice, then we win. And we're going to act like that happened and we're going to move on, which I guess they did. So I don't know. I've talked myself in a circle and now I'm back on our side. I just I the problem is, though, is that like, OK, so Iowa didn't go well. You didn't get the media narrative that I think both of us agree she was banking on. Mm -hmm. You don't have the debates, so you don't have a new opportunity to grab the news cycle. Yeah. It's now been three days as of recording, four days as of when people are listening to this since Iowa. What is Nikki Haley's closing pitch? I don't know the answer. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what her message is right now other than. Let's try and make this a, 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 a full primary, which is never been a message that works for anybody in any primary ever, because if that's the message you have to be articulating, you have lost the primary. That's it. You're conceding. Yeah, you can't over. win. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, I mean, I, I, I gotta say part of the story of this primary is the fact that the Trump campaign has run this really well down to, you know, his speech in Iowa which is the most dangerous thing for both Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis and Joe Biden going forward. 
Trump had his like a uh, uh, kind of tired, calm voice, which is the scariest thing that anybody running against him can do, because if he's not a fire breathing lunatic, then you've lost your biggest cudgel against him. Uh, and he's like, come together. We all need to come together. Democrats, independents, Ron, Nikki, we all need to come together. It's time to focus on Joe Biden. If that's his message and he's leading by 50, you have to draw a strong contrast as to why you are you, you need to be here. Because, I mean, if she we agree if she if she loses in New Hampshire, this is a wrap, right? I mean, it's probably a wrap even if she wins New Hampshire, but yes. Yeah, but her only like, path, her only path is win in New Hampshire, win in South Carolina. That's it. That's that's yeah. The, that's the yeah, only yeah, the thing you said, which was the path was the uh, 21, 21, 21, was, 21, was which that would be 31, 31, 21. Although I also didn't realize that Nikki Haley and Donald Trump are running in different voting contests in Nevada. Nikki Haley is running in the Nevada primary and Donald Trump is running in the Nevada caucus. One is on Tuesday. One is on Thursday. Both are on Super Bowl week. Uh, so Wait, who what? knows what happens in Nevada? But oh, uh, my Lord. Yeah. But uh, uh, now we have I mean, South Carolina would be it. And that's where Ron DeSantis has has pulled the uh, pulled the Joe Biden and just decided to not compete in New Hampshire and uh, just move down to South Carolina. I don't think he is going to have the same success that Joe Biden had by fleeing to South Carolina. But uh, that I mean, is that think, is now do you think the DeSantis even makes it to South Carolina. Because the thing you keep you, you 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 pointed out many times as we've talked over the months about this. Yeah, it's a long time. Yes, it's six weeks from Iowa to South Carolina. Just under, I think. Like, and, and, and the pressure is like a month's worth of pressure a week. You get a month's worth of coverage, a month's worth of headlines and people saying things that you don't want them to say anything can go wrong. And for DeSantis right now, you know, he's got a defector problem. He's got a endorsement problem. He's got a money problem. He's, you know, uh, he, he's got 99 problems and, and hopefully his wife isn't one. That's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Like that's, that's the story right now. He is off television everywhere. He's off television in South Carolina He's off television in Nevada. He's off television in, in New Hampshire. He's got, you know, Mark Caputo of The Messenger, who does a great job of covering Florida politics on Monday, published or Tuesday, published his like empty the notebook uh, a postmortem on, on the DeSantis campaign, which is just brutal. He was DeSantis is out here today saying, you want to know what? I probably should have done more uh, mainstream interviews at the beginning of the campaign. It's like, didn't yeah, we say this in like June? Yes. You know, and, and that's the other thing about DeSantis is that one of the most effective things that he did do on conservative interviews is explain like the anatomy of what for, for what for him was like the liberal media hit job. And he would be like, well, it starts here and then it gets laundered here and then that happens. And that's why you read this headline that reads reasonable, but actually is based in in fiction. He's good when he's prosecuting stuff, but you have to be on somewhere where people, persuadable people are watching uh, for that for that to happen. I mean, the, the, the DeSantis campaign, I would highly recommend everybody read Mark Caputo's uh, uh, rundown of it because it is just unforced error after unforced error. And it's in relief 
with a Trump campaign that was pretty meticulous and relentless when it came to him. Did not make any mistakes. They they executed their game plan, much like the Buffalo Bills against my Pittsburgh Steelers. Normally, they make mistakes. Normally, Josh Allen throws a few picks. Not on Monday, and the Trump campaign has not done it in this primary. They've certainly given red meat to the Democrats, but as far as destroying Ron DeSantis, uh, I can find no fault. Uh, and, and DeSantis didn't do anything to make that better for himself. The advantage for Trump is that this isn't going to be a race after South Carolina, and that's when all of his legal troubles are going to start. If he gets a, a run of bad headlines, uh, if the various trials and the various facts that come out in there hurt him, well, the race is going to be over and everyone's going to be done with him anyways. It's going to be a fait accompli. And he hasn't created his own issues. He has run a disciplined campaign. He has run a, a actually legitimately very good campaign. And the really interesting thing is that none of the sort of Trump adjacent but not Trump world political staffers who in theory should have been able to beat him or at least understand how to dent him have run these sort of meek campaigns against a guy whose whole success is that he portrays strength. Like I know it's it's funny to to make fun of it, but like we're going to do so much winning, going to be tough on China. We're going to do it's all it's all just a projection of strength. And you've got DeSantis and Haley tripping all over themselves not to offend anybody, not to fight back at anybody. And it's like, that's not what is going to work against him. And it's not even going to ingratiate you to Trump. It, he would respect the fight more. He probably respects Chris Christie more than he respects Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. I would I would take a wild guess and say that at the very least, he he knows that when he looks at Chris Christie, that he's like, OK, well, he hates me because I didn't make him AG. Yeah. <laughs> and so now he's taking it out on me right. like that's that that is something that he he will say, well, I, at least I know why he's doing it. I have no idea why Ron DeSantis is doing it. I have no idea why Nikki Haley is doing it. They both would have had places in my administration. Instead, they tried to run. And that is that is what it is. Uh, Haley has shot herself out of VP, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. You know, there was a story that came out, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I forget where, that said Trump now just tries to agitate people in his inner circle by bringing up Nikki Haley just because he knows that they hate her so much. So when they're talking about VP, he'll he'll bring it up just to see them get angry because he thinks it's funny. Like that's that's the level that we're at right now for for my money. You know, I, I've had a few conversations about this and I can't believe that we are doing this in January. But. Uh, if if all we have to look at for, for Trump's vice presidential selections are the one time is the one time he did it. He did it very strategically. Uh, he needed evangelical support. And so he picked Mike Pence because Mike Pence was the best available option on the scratch and dent pile of evangelical people with a record because he was governor. If you are looking at the 2024 version of that, Donald Trump most needs help in the suburbs, uh, specifically with women, college educated women. So I think you're probably going to see somebody that isn't a MAGA fire breather in that role. Nikki Haley probably would have been that if she were on 
the sideline or if, if she had flamed out earlier, I don't think that she's going to be that now. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think that, that, that the Elise Stefanik buzz is probably dead on. I, I would, I would put her at, at the top of the market right now for Trump's VP. I, I am pro Stefanik because I think there is a tweet somewhere uh, in my back archive where I predicted that she would be his next VP uh, choice. Yeah. So yeah. And like, she's and this, this, logical... this, this, this is before, before the Harvard Penn, uh, MIT oh, yeah, yeah, like two years ago. I think like when she, when she oh, replaced Cheney, I think I, I tweeted it. Um, she's always oh, been a logical nice. choice. She used to be a moderate. Yeah. She can speak in a way that moderates can understand. She can go to the suburbs and not sound like a crazy person. Um, yes. She's clearly got the Trump, you know, imprimatur. She's well liked. She didn't, uh, you know, burn herself with a uh, speakership challenge. You know, I think she's clearly better at politics than I think a lot of people give her credit for. Um, she's attractive. We know Trump likes attractive women. I, I do genuinely think but that not, works in her advantage, but not not too attractive. That's the other thing is that like she, her style is still very businesswoman and not in the way that we're, I'm getting into gross territory here. I may or may not cut this, but like <laughs> it's not in the, the beauty queen way that a lot of uh, uh, Southern female politicians or a lot of the people in the Trump orbit that look like they were on Fox news with like teased out hair and like super red lipstick. Like it, it's, it's, it, it's a very, it can travel. It can travel to Georgia. It can travel to Michigan. It can travel to Wisconsin. Well, the funny thing is, there's a brand of conservative politicians in basically like every Western country that all look basically the exact same. And Stefanik is the Stefanik. Stefanik is the American version. Like, yeah, it's just like a very. It looks like if they weren't a politician, they would be like the a partner at a law firm, and it's just very yes, exactly. It's it, it's just a very specific look and it always stuns me. And I'm like, oh, you're the British version of that. You're the Australian. It's very funny for me. Um, like you like, like, like you would see this person be a one episode guest star on Suits. Oh, yeah. For like sure. that's that's the look that you have walking into the door. Yeah. Yeah. Opposing counsel. Opposing counsel on Suits. I've, I can't <laughs> believe so the, that, that was this is the wildest uh digression but i was suits has been on canadian netflix for like a decade now so uh-huh. i just assumed y'all had it this entire time and so when people are like watching suits i'm like okay what and then i'm like oh no you guys never had this and so i've had all of my like american friends have finally caught up and i've finally been able to complain to them about how terrible that show is <laughs> with all these opinions <laughs> That I've been harboring since I, I was like literally a high schooler. I have hated the show since I was well, in high but, school. Yeah. Well, the problem with Suits is that it was very popular when it was currently airing, or at least with a certain set of people. Uh, uh, it was it was a show that people watched a lot. And then for whatever reason, I think it's just because it it was on long enough. There, there's got to be a long German word for just a television series that has enough seasons. So it it is a comfortable binge. It's it's like a gravity blanket of a binge. You're not going to run out of episodes anytime <laughs> soon. And they're formulaic enough that you can. It doesn't matter if you walk away from the television for half of it 
and suits fits that perfectly. And then you throw on the the uh, uh, you know the 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 Meghan Markle element. It's got a little uh, sizzle to it. But yeah, no, it, it's become. I, I don't know where it was before Netflix. It had to be on like Peacock or something like that because it, it was it was a show on on USA. Yeah, I assume so. But it, yeah, it was just on Canadian Netflix. Like I remember, like I remember just one time having a meltdown about it when, like, when it was literally currently airing in class the next morning, yeah. and I was just complaining to, <laughs> to one friend, and then it ended up being like a ten minute long class class discussion about how terrible, like. Because it's so it, if you're paying like any remote attention, you know, what's going to happen 30 minutes from you can predict the end of the episode by yes. seven minutes in. And I was doing this rant. And, but and that's that's what people like. I know I, that's what people want. I mean, dude, I, I the West Wing is my comfort rewatch, even though that show is terrible. But like, <laughs> it's the same thing. It's snazzy dialogue. People who can give yes. bad comedy. Well, it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's so bad so bad all right uh uh, as much as we would love to turn this into a suits cast let's let's do one final prediction uh what do you have for new hampshire i think Haley loses by five i think she beats her polls i don't think she beats them by enough okay i think her ad blitz is gonna work is trump over 50 yeah Trump like 48, Haley 43, DeSantis gets the rest. What do we, Biden, what's the Biden write in? 60? Is that the over under for Biden? I think so. That's, that's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to see a Dean Phillips event while I am in uh, New Hampshire, uh, which as you guys are listening to this, I am likely in New Hampshire, uh, uh, you know, and, and getting to see the Dean. The Dean of Phillips is something that I am very, very excited for. Although, boy, did he did he get the full silent treatment from the Democratic media establishment with this? There is nothing. There's no conversation of Will Biden's write in do X, Y or Z. It is absolute uh, a summer on Mars in terms of the the noise being made. Even though, like, clearly the Biden Biden world is like a, a tiny bit worried. The Boston mayor's going up to campaign yeah. for him Sunday, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know they had they they, they uh, Pritzker was in Iowa uh, uh, campaigning for Biden for a camp, for a uh, caucus that he wasn't in. Yeah, it's it's like the surrogate machine is 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 ramping up in a way that i kind of don't understand like if you're caught like why did why didn't you just file if it it, like because he moved i have no idea why they moved the schedule well because they're trying to annoyed with this when it because they're trying to jerry-rig this for kamala next time because then that's why they want south carolina first they don't want her to get punch in iowa if she if i would have her a one two then she's then she's screwed and whitmer's probably the next nominee and if it's south carolina first she gets 65 percent of the vote and the media annoys her i i don't think that she's toast either way i mean depending on whether or not you know biden wins here in 24 I think I don't know. I'm not saying saying I agree with that assessment. I think that is the White House. You're right. You're right. I mean, 
Yeah, I I always read it as Biden's career has never done well in Iowa. And this was his final FU to the Hawkeye state, considering he has gotten nothing but pain out of that state. And so he moves it to the only primary or the first primary he won, which was South Carolina, which is I mean, if we're talking about non-representative, you know, uh, uh. South Carolina for the Democrats is who can give the best foot massage to Jim Clyburn state. Like you, you don't even have to campaign there. You don't have to run a television ad. Yeah, exactly. Just, it's, it's, you know, it, it's a complete see, farce. Who, who, does, who does Clyburn like? Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's, that's, that's a wrap there, but yeah, I think this is an embarrassment. This is an embarrassment for Biden that, that this is even a thing that you have to think about. Dean Phillips should not be a name that anybody is talking about. And then there's also this idea of like, well, no president, who's primaried has ever won. But that means you can't recognize or legitimize anybody who's currently primarying the president. It's got to be a famous person that we like. It's got to be a Kennedy, right? It's usually a Kennedy. You know, it's usually it's either Bobby Kennedy or Ted Kennedy. And so there was a Kennedy primarying him and then he left and and did uh, an independent campaign. But yeah, it's a, a, I don't know. It's a bad look. I still have no idea why they decided to do it this time. And I also think that they're probably going to wind up moonwalking and setting it back the way it is now, because the problem they still will have in 2028 is they don't control the governments in any of these states. They don't control the governments in Georgia. They don't control the governments in South Carolina. So unless the party is going to pay for these, then it's not going to happen. You're not, it's not going to happen on, on the date that you want. You can't just declare it like Michael Scott declares bankruptcy. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the, the, that gets to my broader thing of like American elections are a complete farce from just like an administrative <laughs> capacity. Like the fact that we all have to remember the 14 different voting systems and which states have, you know, mail ballots can be accepted later, like just federalize federal elections. This is my this is my hobby horse that I never bother arguing, but like it's a, yeah. this whole this whole thing is farce. I'm actually shocked that nobody on the Republican side. This is one of my unsolicited pieces of advice is to Ron DeSantis uh, early on was a way to blunt and get away from the did Donald Trump win the election argument is to push Florida based federal guidelines for voting because say what you will about Florida they did solve their voting issue. And I think that the the reforms that they put in post 2000 have delivered same night results. Oftentimes only hours after the polls close, they are able to give consistent, solid reported results. And part of it, a lot of it is really common sense. It's, you know, mail-in balloting is allowed. It's cut off a, a, a week before you start counting the mail-in ballots immediately. So they drop immediately upon the polls closing and, you know, you just, standardize it. I thought that was the way that he could say, Hey, we're going to clean up elections. We are going to push a federal guideline for all 50 States for at least these common sense rules. And that's going to bring faith back to our elections, but add that to the heap of things that Ron DeSantis wasn't good at. Uh, all right. So before we get into, uh, uh, NFL on your way out, uh, thoughts on Trump versus Biden. Where, where, where are you at as of late January? I think Biden is a favorite. I don't think he's a big favorite. I think that if the election were tomorrow, 
Trump would win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do not think that the that the things that are causing Trump to do better right now are sustainable moving forward. His approvals are Trump's approvals are better than they've been for a while, mostly because, frankly, no one's really listened to him for a while. He hasn't really been in the yeah. news. He hasn't been trying to talk to swing voters. The Iowa speech was fine and it was actually, you know, it wasn't going to be incendiary. He's going to be on trial for six months. Yeah. If that, and, but, yeah, but he's done the closer he's gotten to a courtroom, the more people have liked him. That's the one thing that I still cannot fully understand and explain, except for the fact that is kind of dark, which is that even independents and swing voters don't think these charges are legitimate enough to be warranting being brought to them. Except 30, except what, 32% of Iowa voters, uh, Iowa Republican caucus governor said he wouldn't be fit to be president if, uh, if he's convicted. Yeah. But also, I'm, I, I, I feel like I need to go back and actually do some research on whether or not there were similar polling numbers about him being indicted, because I would suspect that there probably is. Uh, and, and now he's indicted four times and all he's done is get more popular. Here's the other thing, though, Scrim, and this is something that I feel like is, is not being talked about in the same kind of way uh, for this campaign, which is his signature issue was immigration in 2016. Throughout his presidency, he was criticized mightily for his stances on immigration. And now immigration, if not deportation, has become exponentially more popular across the political spectrum, including independents and including Democrats. And and I don't know, amongst all the other noise, what it means that when it comes to that, the thing he spent the most time talking about People in Chicago and New York City are saying, even if just throughout the, you know, uh, in the roundabout way, Trump was right. Yeah. Um, and if I were uh, the House Republicans, there is a zero percent chance I pass an immigration bill this year. Zero percent chance I give Biden. I take this issue off the off the table for Trump. Um, the thing, the only thing that I can like. The thing that I keep coming back to is that this should be a fairly good economic year. There should he Biden should have an economic tailwind. Trump is going to say is going to is going to be faced with, you know, more people thinking about January 6th, stolen election, all of the stuff that hurt his candidates in 2022. And mm-hmm. I don't trust that Trump has the discipline in a general election. He clearly had the discipline to get through a GOP primary. And yes, that's that, yeah. that is an accomplishment. And that does make me a little more, uh, you know, a little more concerned about Biden optimism. I think that this is I at the end of the day, I don't see a situation where. Obviously, I don't think 30% of Republicans are going to suddenly abandon Trump. I don't think he's actually going to get 35% of the vote. And I think it's the same thing that happened after Access Hollywood and after a thousand things during the Trump presidency, which is I'll never vote for the guy. I voted for him anyways. But if 5% of people in Forsyth County or Fort Worth say, this is my dividing line. This is the this is the line I can't cross. I'm not voting for a convicted bleeping felon. That is enough yeah. to keep Georgia blue. 
Well, you know, I'll tell you what, but we won't go too far in down this road because we, uh, we have a lot of time to talk about it. However, something that I talked about earlier on this episode, are you familiar with the bicentennial curse? No, elaborate. There have only been five campaigns that have won the Iowa and New Hampshire contests. Carter did it twice. Gerald Ford did it. Al Gore did it. Kerry did it. So the only Republican to ever do it was Gerald Ford. He lost. The only person to ever win was Jimmy Carter in 1976. And the only reason why he won was because he was running against the other guy that also did it. So one of them had to win. There is a possible curse to winning both the Iowa and the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary. No Republican has ever won the White House after winning both. So what you're saying is, is that Trump Trump voters should tactically vote for Nikki Haley to ensure that Trump can win the, the presidency. <laughs> just to get this curse off their back to make sure that it doesn't happen. I, I, I looked this up. So I, this was not a thing that was out there. I, I, I was just looking up how long, how many times that it happened. And I was surprised. It, it, it just shows you how divergent those two coalitions are, especially for the Republicans that Iowa is very, very different from New Hampshire in terms of voting wise. And so it has never happened uh, uh, outside of in, in a contested uh, version of this without an incumbent in the White House, except for Gerald Ford on, on the Republican side. And obviously he didn't win. What a what a what a what a fun stat. I'm going to I'm going to be dropping that for a while now. Great. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm so pumped. I was like, I, I've been scanning Twitter today to see whether or not anybody's dropped it. But I'm going to I'm going to put the social media clip of this episode out as soon as I record it. So I can I can get on this corner for the bicentennial curse. 1976 is when it starts. Uh, all right, Scrim, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you do have NFL picks because a reader uh, or a listener to this show wrote in and said, hey, Scrim should do his own NFL picks, and especially during the playoffs. And so now you're doing it. Where can people find it? Uh, my YouTube channel, uh, which uh, I will uh, tweet out. Uh, I will tweet the, the the video will be out by the time this podcast goes live. I'll tweet it out. You can get that tweet and all other tweets at uh, eScrimshaw on Twitter. Uh, you can read my political betting NFL and soon-to-be NHL content over at thelines.com. I have a New Hampshire preview out this week and some uh, stuff for the Green Bay uh, San Francisco game mm, and uh, political like? writing over at scrimshawnscripted.substack.com um, how bad uh, how badly is my team going to lose my, my Packers how badly are they going to get destroyed well number one you got to be thrilled oh whenever you can whenever you can just blow out Mike McCarthy in fact, the only thing that's better than you blowing out Mike McCarthy is Jerry Jones retaining him. I, this, that's just this, gotta be. So, so my birthday is Saturday. <laughs> this has been the greatest yeah. week lead up to my birthday I could have asked for. <laughs> uh, I think what, what the line is, is it nine or 10? Uh, nine and a half. It's settled up. Nine and a half, right? I kind of like the Packers because the Packers can score. And so even if it's, a, a a a back and forth. The Packers, I feel like, can score quicker than the Niners. The Niners are such they're so good at the run game and they need the the misdirection of the run game to set up everything else. And they have so many weapons there. 
that while I, I, I don't know if the Packers will be able to stop the Niners, the idea of a backdoor cover, I don't know. I, I, I like the Packers and the points. I've, uh, I, I've, I've, I've skipped the spread and I've just bet Packers over 20 and a half points. That's has been my oh. they're gonna score. Look at that. It, it, it yes. could be 30, I think it could be 35, yeah. 28. It could be 42, 28. There's going to be points. It's going to be fun. It's 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 the nightcap to my birthday. I'm very happy about the schedule. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me on, buddy. No problem, dude. Talk to you later. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show was edited by Brett Stewart. If you want to thank Evan Scrimshaw for coming on the show, it is letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. Theyoungamerican at gmail.com is where you need to go if you want to write us. If you want to follow clips of the show, including one of our bipartisan curse, retweet that one. PX3 tweets on X. Uh, I am Justin R. Young on X. If you want to follow me live on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, when I get a chance, it is px3live.com. You can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy. px3podcast.com. Again, we have no underwriters. We've got, I don't know if you get an ad on this for whatever reason. Sometimes the ads show up, sometimes they don't. Trust me, the money isn't exactly pouring in from programmatic ads. I do this because you guys support me. That's it and that's all. PayPal for a one-time donation. PayPal.me slash payjury. Venmo, Justin-Young-20. Cash app, PX3Cash. And if you'd like to send me anything in the mail, you can do so. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is Post Office Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. But the only way you get the bonus content is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Including Alo, Ye Old Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy Mack, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Checkers, Sarah Genie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, His Nerdiness Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley Steven, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Delightful Demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D Laser, Nick, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen D, really? Andrew, Gloria, my mom, Neemeister, Jay, Devon, the CFP, Neil, Spider, Rogue, and Fat Tony's PJs from New York. You want to join them? And we've had a few newbies. You newbies. Come on in. Take politics seriously. Dot com. Well. Till the next time you guys hear me, uh, we'll be for patrons and uh, I will be in New Hampshire with all the sound from the ground. We'll be back here on this feed with the results of the New Hampshire primary. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. If this is bad for Nikki, it just might be curtains. Just might be over. <laughs>
might be donezo. You're going to have to stay tuned to find out. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this is the only program that dares discuss. Oh, three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.